Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest with myself, Ned Keaton. I'm joined today by Simon Mullock and Matt Dunn. As we look back on what's been, you know, myself and Simon were talking just before we started recording this morning and Simon used the term wacky week in the Premier League. I suppose that's kind of the best way to sum it up. Uh, the running order had a, had a bit of a change overnight. We were expecting to be talking about Premier League sackings first. I'll bet it's the return of a manager that we're, we're going to come to first or perhaps in a little bit. But Chelsea probably summing up this mad week by sacking Graham Potter and then returning to Frank Lampard and we'll come on to Frank Lampard in a second but Matt you're you're quite well connected at, at Chelsea obviously see them quite regularly as well um, and and on the subject of Graham Potter we covered it on Monday show a little bit but just kind of I wanted to get your thoughts first up today on how you think Chelsea have, have arrived at that decision to, to sack Potter I think everyone can agree it's not worked out how they would have imagined it to and how they would have hoped for it but you kind of think that given where they were in the league and, and kind of everything else around it, that for me at least it seemed surprising that they didn't at least give him a full crack at a summer to have and, and come at it next season. Um, and especially what's gone on since, and again we'll come on to that in a second, but for me I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around the reasons why they, they sacked Potter and they sacked him now. Um, and, and I just wanted to get your kind of take on it. Graham Potter, a lovely bloke he is, has slowly talked himself out of the job, talking about it being the hardest job in sport. Uh, talking about the the suffering, talking about how difficult it is. He's kind of painted himself as someone who was struggling to cope. And that's not going to play well with uh, managers, who, uh, with owners, sorry, who have invested so heavily in it. What was really bizarre is the decision to sack him coming with no plan, but then, you know, nowhere to go, apart from, as was pointed out in no uncertain terms in the back pages of the papers, when it emerged that uh, Bruno Salter hadn't even picked a team in his career before, um, you know, it's like I wrote, it's, it was, you know, six hundred million pounds. So it's like giving the keys to a Lamborghini. You know, it's like buying a Lamborghini and giving it to a learner driver. It, it's just a nonsense. And then twenty-four hours later, after or the, the same day that those headlines appeared, criticizing them for for, for that, Frank Lampard sat, sat in the stands at Stamford Bridge. Um, very curious timing that was, I certainly mentioned it in my match report, thinking that that could be some significance in that uh, further in the week. And so did they not have his number at the weekend? Surely, I mean, there's been changes at Chelsea, but surely someone's got Frank Lampard's number. And and you ring him up and say, look, we, we finally think it's time for Graham Potter 
if you're the guy, if he's the guy to take them on in a caretaker role, give him a call, present it as something that they thought through. But they, they seem to have sacked Graham Potter on a whim, said, oh, I'll stick, we'll stick his assistant in, in place uh, and reference it and, as part of the terms of you know, his corporation in moving on. And then when they don't like the headlines and the question, you know, effectively the, the accusations that they don't know what they're doing, they'd say, oh, well, that Frank Lampard fellow, I remember him from, from before, you know, I've, I've read about him or whatever, because he seems to have so little knowledge of English football. Um, they want to give him a go on an interim basis. Uh, and then it could work, it might not, but at least he's got experience of managing the team. Uh, and, uh, you know, he could be the Roberto Di Matteo surprise Champions League winner, whatever, but at least it's slightly more joined up thinking. But what happened at 24 hours? You know, you do that in one go, and that's the mess that Chelsea is at the moment. It's just all over the place uh, and changing day to day. Simon, with Chelsea and, and with this, um, you know, as Matt said there, it kind of, they seem to be attacking this without much of a plan. And I suppose that's how you can kind of sum up Potter, you know, and, and that kind of whole process of how they've arrived, probably at Frank Lampard as well. It just seems bizarre. I'm not, you know, for myself as well, you know, Matt's right. He might come back and he might, you know, the, the kind of the legendary status that he has at the club, he might be able to kind of, um, you know, install some belief back into the players and, and kind of perhaps maybe does have that fairy tale run to a Champions League win. But for me, I just can't fathom how... A man who two years ago was considered not to be good enough for Chelsea and they got rid of him, replaced him with Thomas Tuchel, was considered not good enough for Everton earlier in the season as well. They sacked him and replaced him, obviously, with Sean Dyche earlier in the year. That how Chelsea now find themselves in this position that they've gone back to Frank Lampard as well. I mean, Frank must be thinking it's, you know, his lucky day. He's won the jackpot in the lottery here because he's not going to be badly paid either going back to Chelsea. And it's an opportunity as well, you know, kind of he probably goes in there with with nothing to lose and everything to gain in terms of his managerial um, credibility. So for him, it's, it's an absolute, you know, godsend that this has come, but how Chelsea ended up in this position that they have to go back to him? I don't, I mean, Todd Bowley is obviously a very, very wealthy man. And I don't think many of us knew who he was before he became owner of Chelsea. And you just wonder how he's built up that wealth. You know, I mean, this is a, this is a hardened businessman who's obviously made a made a, a vast fortune out of making the right business decisions more often than not. And he's he kind of seems to have got into Chelsea and lost the plot. Uh, you know, he's he kind of came came with a plan um that, you know, they were going to spend heavily to 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 buy a group of of talented young players on massively long contracts, you know, to to kind of help them through the the F, any FFP problems. Um you know, Graham Potter was a master at building a, a young team at Brighton. And you thought, well, you know, they're spending a lot of money, but at least there's a there's a kind of pla- planning pace, place that they've got a manager who has shown that he's adept at, at building a team pretty much from scratch. And then suddenly they just ripped the, you know, they just ripped that plan up. I mean, did they, did they expect Potter to win the league in his first season? He's got them through to the, you know, the quarterfinals of the Champions League. You know, you've got to feel sorry for Graham Potter. He, he just was landed with this. I mean, it's crazy saying you should feel sorry for a manager who's been landed with six hundred million pounds worth of signings. But you know, how does he fit? How does he fit all those in the team? How does he keep that squad happy? It's just it was just an impossible job for him to do. And then to sack him without having, a, like Matt said, a plan B in place. It, it's just you know, it, it flies in the face of, of any kind of sense whatsoever, footballing sense, business sense, whatever you want to call it. And obviously Frank Frank Lampard's coming back in and, I, you know, I, I cover Everton um, as part of my sort of daily job. And, you know, Fra- Frank 
Frank looked frazzled at the end of the, you know, his Everton reign. And you just wonder, you know, as, as he had a long enough break to kind of sort, kind of, you know, sort himself out, sort his head out. Um, or maybe it's one of those that he just came, you know, he just came so out of the blue that, um, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those opportunities he's got to, he's got to take. And like you say, it's a shot to nothing. You can't lose, you know, um, and Todd Bohini will have a massive problem on his hands if Frank, Frank Lampard now goes and wins the Champions League. What does he do? Sack him? I mean, you know, it just doesn't make any, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Tried to think of it from every perspective, what, what could be going through, you know, the heads of the people at Chelsea. And I just can't, I just can't come up with an answer as to, to what they're doing. They're just doing it on the fly, it seems, day by day. And um, that's not the, that's not the way to, to build a football club. It's definitely the way to waste 600 million pounds, but it's not the way to, to build a football club. Matt, just sticking with Todd Burley and, and his ownership of Chelsea, um, you know, we're not even a year into it, into how, him, him having taken ownership of Chelsea from Roman Abramovich, but you compare the two and, and Roman Abramovich had this this big, um, you know, reputation as being a kind of higher and fire manager. Quite frankly, at the minute, he's looking quite patient in comparison to Todd Burley. But, you know, Chelsea fans had so much love and respect for Abramovich and the success that he brought, you know, Champions League titles, Premier League titles, everything that, that, that came with it. Um, and you kind of flash forward now and it was always going to be difficult to follow that up clearly um, you know Chelsea fans still still, you know were chanting Abramovich's name as well at times but every single decision that Todd Burley seems to have been able to make up to this point it seems to have kind of been the wrong call or a haphazard call he seems to have made a misstep at every single opportunity I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on, on how you think Burley's ownership of Chelsea has gone so far I'm, I'm guessing it's probably not the, uh, the, the kind of textbook guide of how to run a football club well, it would be if Todd Burley had his way because all the titles lecturing us and how they're very cleverly running their club in a way, particularly the end of the last transfer window when they spent another £250 million on long-term contracts which are going to hamstring the club in the transfer market with FFB guidelines for years to come. Uh, and he's, he, his attitude seemed to be, well, we're just surprised that the rest of football haven't seen this. Um, you know, there is too much short-term uh, planning in football, he told us all. And, uh, you know, they were going to bring their American way and show us how it's done. And that looks a bit silly now, to be honest. Um, at least Abramovich had a plan when he sacked, got an interim manager. Generally, they, they'd won the European Cup previously. Yeah, because I think Rafa Benitez, although, you know, to great or lesser um, success, at least, you know, when you bring in an interim manager, you've got someone who's shown they can do the job. Uh, and that's the sort of joined up thinking that's just not happening at the minute. I think there's, uh, the, with the various representatives, I mean, Top Bird is just the front of a consortium. There's a few voices there that are getting louder and louder that, that are perhaps arguing amongst themselves. And they're, and they're reaching, like you said, the wrong consensus on so many things because there are, seem to be very few football brains guiding them. Um, you know, English football brains. Um, you know, association football brains telling them, uh, you know, that years and years of experience, uh, you know, what what is the best way forward? As luck would have it, Frank Lampard, this is going to be an absolutely crucial game for Harmony in uh, the Real Madrid one, uh, for Harmony in that dressing room, because all those players sign on big money, sign for Chelsea to play in the big games like Real Madrid. Now, 20 players there will be expecting to play in that game and Frank Lampard's got to pick 11 of them. He can say, well, I've, at least this is what he's got. 
he can say, well, I've been in that situation. I've been left out big games. And he can manage that better, certainly, than Bruno uh, Bruno would have been able to do. And, um, and Lampard could perhaps manage his way through that and make it a shock result, make it a performance. You know, the players may decide to do what they can actually do and were doing successfully for their clubs before. Uh, um, yeah, but it is just a lottery. Uh, and there's no credit to the owners if if they do do something remarkable this season. Uh, and that's what they've got to pay attention to because if they get away with it, that's just going to make things worse for the future. Simon, there's all this talk as well uh, about Lampard's return just being a an interim appointment, of course, you know, mainly seeing if he does go on to enjoy some great success with Chelsea and perhaps win the Champions League. Who knows, might end up in a, as a permanent appointment. But some of the names floating around as permanent options for Chelsea come this summer. Luis Enrique, Julian Nagelsmann, Mauricio Pochettino, you know, kind of who's, who, of, of who's available right now, to be fair. And of course, it's still a, it's still a job that will attract big names. But given how things have gone, you know, this week especially, but also in the run-up to it and, and kind of, you know, the points that we've covered already on this podcast this morning about how haphazard Chelsea seems to have become this season in terms of decision-making, you know, th- this is a, a kind of two-point question. Who do they need in terms of a manager going into next season? And will that calibre of manager, you know, whoever they want, if it happens to be an Enrico or an Arkelsman, would they be put off by the fact that Chelsea look a mess at the minute and don't know what they want to do next and you can't kind of predict where they're going to go next and, and what decisions they're going to make. Well, you, you would imagine that the, the, the first question on the table when the interviews are taking place will be how much how much power have I got over being able to shape the squad that I'm inheriting? Um, because clearly, Chelsea, you know, the business that Chelsea have done over the last year in the transfer market has not been done with the the full backing of Graham Potter because it's it's kind of hamstrung him. Like he like said, he's got half of the dressing room who love him because he's they're in the team, and half of the dressing room who will, who will hate him because they're out of the team. And then the following week, when he's making changes because they're not winning games, it's you know it, the, the the players who hated him now love him and and vice versa. So I would imagine the first the first question any prospective manager and let's be right, Chelsea need a, a you know they need a, a top you know a top proven manager. Um, I think I, I'd love to see Luis Enrique in the in the Premier League. Um, I really think he's got something about him, and you know he's had. Uh, I, I think I was reading about him when he was at, at Roma. You know he took on um, he took on all the big stars there. Um, he, he took on Lionel Messi when he was at. Um, at Barcelona, in terms of you know making sure that that he knew he was the boss. Same with with Totti at, at Roma, and I just think that's the kind of that that's the kind of personality Chelsea need at this moment. A really kind of dominant uh, character, a, a bit a bit of a Mourinho in a way. You know, somebody somebody who's got a, a a personality that he can impose on that on that you know over overcrowded dressing room. So, uh, but yeah, I think the first question any manager will, will be asking uh, the, the Chelsea owners is, how much power are you prepared to give me to do the job properly? Otherwise, what what is the point of, of taking the challenge up? You know that, you know, three defeats on the trot early in your reign and you, you, you will be under immense pressure straight away. Matt, just finally on, on Chelsea uh, and going back to Lampard and his expected appointment until the end of the season. What is the aim for Chelsea? What is the goal? What can they realistically achieve under Lampard between now and the end of the campaign? Winning the Champions League is always open for them as a positive thing and not embarrass themselves anymore. I mean, it is that bleak at the moment for Chelsea. Um, he's got to try uh, and sort out... A, a, I mean, he's just going to basically dig the owners out of the hole that they build themselves, you know, dug themselves. Uh, yeah, there, there is very bleak. Real Madrid's key. 
a few performances, keep the fans happier, uh, try and make it a, a, a more static club uh, for someone to come in and also show off the capabilities of Chelsea to those big names. The trouble is with appointing anyone this summer is there's probably going to be a number of clubs looking for a new manager. And, and Chelsea wouldn't be the top of anybody's list um, you know, as ideal destinations. And Lampard somehow got to make it look more stable, more sane, uh, and the sort of place that you can fancy coming as a, as, you know, as a permanent manager. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of course, Graham Potter leaving his job this week. Brendan Rodgers as well. Two more managers joining the list of Premier League managers to be sacked this season. Uh, I'm a bit reluctant to put a number on it because I'm recording this live on, on Thursday morning. So by the time that we get round to recording it and by the time that you might be listening to it as a podcast, uh, there might be a few more names added to the list. Um, but Simon, in terms of how many sackings we've seen in the Premier League this season, uh, and I suppose Potter probably really is you know, symptomatic of it, Managers are no longer getting the time that they need to succeed. I mean, you know, even this week we're seeing Nottingham Forest having to come out and, and back uh, Steve Cooper. And you're thinking, you know, he's done a fantastic job at Forest where you consider where he took them. For him to even be considered to be on the cusp of, of you know, being sacked is, is remarkable. But it just highlights that there is such a focus on success and remaining in the Premier League for those clubs near the bottom and obviously for the top, you know, the other other bits of success that come with it. But managers now, they don't get that time to be able to succeed, it seems. Absolutely not. You know, it's been been a a crazy, crazy season in in terms of, you know, Premier League clubs hiring and and firing managers. And what, the the craziest thing about it is that none of them, we're not talking about Chelsea not having a plan B. It feels like none of them have have got a plan B. None of them have got a clue. It's kind of a knee-jerk, right, let's get rid of the manager. And that's when they start thinking about who they're going to, you know, who the next person is that, that is going to take over the, the job. You know, um, David Moyes is obviously coming under pressure at West Ham, but who, who do West Ham get in for the last few games of the season to take over that team and and kind of lift them away from from the bottom of the Premier League? And for me, it, it's a it's a bigger gamble um, sacking a manager than it is. Sticking with him, you know, when you've got nine games of the season left, that that that's the sensible thing to do. Allow, you know, give him the chance, give it, give him the chance to 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 pull the team away from from trouble, rather than than sort of going there in, in the hope that you might, you know, with some outlandish chance, be able to find somebody who who's got that that magic touch. Um, you know, it's just I don't, I don't know. It just seems like a, 
it feels like a bit of a, a kind of disease at the moment that's just spreading around the Premier League and people are saying, oh, well, they've sat their manager. Why don't, why don't we do that? But without having a, you know, a, a stable kind of sort of plan B to, to, to get somebody else in, you know, what, let, listen, why not give the guy who won fantasy football, fantasy football competition last year, you know, because it's just, and that's the thing, it's just a merry-go-round at the moment. Somebody loses, loses their job at one club. He turns up, you know, he turns up another club as, as we've seen, seen with Frank Lampard. So, you know, I, I don't know what the, um, I don't know what the, the reason is for, for this. It just feels like that, that, that panic is set into the Premier League, you know, a lot, a lot more, um, quickly than, than it normally does. Uh, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the wonder kid, Nate Shelley seems to be doing a decent job with West Ham on, on and for fans of Ted Lasso. Four-one win after Moyes' defeat. They, they you switch over and watch Apple TV. So yeah, stick him in. I've just got this vision in my mind of Big Sam sat there checking his phone every five minutes, which it's got plenty of charge. It's just got to that silly season. I mean, the worrying thing for David Moyes, the the, the the alarm bells that rang last night, is his post-match quotes talking about, "Well, if they do, I'm big enough to take it." Blah blah blah. Normally, managers steer so far far away from those speculative questions that when you start embracing them, you think, well, perhaps he knows something that, you know, that, you know, we're, we're going to find out later today. Um, so I think it would be a misstep because as Simon says, there's no one to replace. Yeah, who do you bring in? Um, you bring in David Moyes probably if he was out there. So, I mean, that's always been the problem in the past. Um, so, yes, it's absolutely mad, but it is such a big gamble. It's always too big a gamble not to take. I think owners are frightened of being seen to do nothing. Um, which is probably the right thing to do is actually to have faith in your original appointments and uh, and keep your fingers crossed. So, uh, so yeah, it's going to be, it could still be a, quite a turbulent end to the season. Matt, to that end, was it refreshing then to see Nottingham Forest's owner, and I'm not even going to try to, uh, my, my Greek isn't great, so I won't try and embarrass myself this morning by trying to pronounce it, but was it refreshing to see him come out and give that back in then to Steve Cooper when there was all this talk, you know, about him being on the cast. And again, I think that's ridiculous given, you know, where he's taken Forrest to this season. Um, but in terms of coming coming out and backing him, it might be looked as a, a kind of dreaded vote of confidence that we've seen in the past. We've not seen them for a while, have we? But was it right for them to put that to bed and at least now focus on on trying to stay up until the end of the season? Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, like you say, he's earned his shot. The aim um, for Nottingham Forest when they came up, was to finish yeah, out of the bottom three on the final day of the season. And they're still in with a very good shot of doing that. Um, so Steve Steve Cooper's fulfilling his brief for the minute, keeping them in contention. You know, if he was up, you have to be you know, where Chelsea are to, to be safe. So, you know, I don't think Forrest were expecting to, to match Chelsea in their first season back in the Premier League. So anything other than that, you, you sort of think, well, he's done all right, actually. Uh, and yeah, it's nice to see that faith being shown. And they also know that if the, the worst were to happen, he went down, he's not a bad shout to get him back up again, which is the next thing you have to think about. If you get these gambles roll, you then probably have to point a new manager with a different set of skills to uh, to get them back up again. So yeah, a little, little long overdue faith is a great thing, I think, all around and very wise on Forest Park. So, I mean, you mentioned it earlier about it being a kind of, um, uh, you know, being wacky and, and being a bit of a merry-go-round at the minute. And I suppose, you know, even if Steve Cooper were to have been sacked by Forrest, he'd, he would still find his name, you know, there were links only last month uh, with the Tottenham job. Likewise, Brendan Rodgers is being suggested as, as someone still for that Tottenham job. So even though managers are being sacked for being in the relegation fight, they're still being considered high up. And it, it seems 
strange in that respect. But even more so when you look at Leicester, as you said there, about plan Bs and not having one. You know, speculation in, in the press as well in the last few days, whether or not it's, it's true or not. But Martin O'Neill will be linked with a return to Leicester, having previously not done much since leaving, uh, leaving probably Sunderland, I think, as well. You know, did, did all right with Ireland, but, but the Forest job didn't go how he would have wanted it to. And those plan Bs, and this, it, it does seem haphazard. You, know, you said it was like a plague and it's kind of spread around the Premier League. You kind of look at Leicester especially and you think, you know, similar to Chelsea, was sacking Rogers the right move? Who have we got to come in? And are they better? And looking at that list of names that, that Leicester have, you know, again, Rafa Benitez being linked with that, probably similar names that you would see if, if West Ham pulled the trigger on Moyes, names that would be similar on that list. And you kind of think, well, would they have been better off? I know he's not great and he's not had a great season and yes, they're in the bottom three, but you wonder if Leicester would have been better sticking with Rodgers, who has a better track record than some of those managers being listed to, to replace him. Yeah, I mean, it was Brendan Rodgers had, you know, he's thrown a curve, he's been thrown a curveball over the last sort of year or so by not being able to invest really in, in, in his squad and he's, you know, he's lost play, he's lost players without being able to kind of replace them with the same quality. So you would have thought that Leicester's owners would have, you know, would have been a little bit more patient with him knowing that it's, it's probably not the squad that Brendan Rodgers would have liked to have, have gone into the season with. And, uh, you know, I don't think, I, I, I'll be amazed if Brendan Rodgers isn't in a job probably within the next, you know, within the, within the next week or two. Um, and yeah, you know, like I say, it, it just feels like uh, the clubs are looking at each other saying, well, they're doing it, you know, maybe we should do it. And, it, and, it's, and I know it's just kind of been a, a domino effect. When you see Roy Hodgson coming back into the Premier League, uh, what, how old is he? Is he 75? 75, Roy? No, he's been, listen, Roy's been a great manager. I don't mean to be disparaging, but, you know, is it, is it um, a time of his life really where, you know, most people will be sort of, you know, picking up, the, putting the carpet slippers on and, and watching Super Saturday rather than, you know, getting involved at, at the training ground. And I know he loves the game. I know he loves the club and, you know, he's got football in his blood. But when you see clubs, you know, re, re, sort of resorting to bring back, bringing back, um, managers who we thought we, we would never kind of see again, you know, in a dugout, then you know that there's, there's kind of something, you know, there's something strange going on. And it's just such a small pool. Of, you know, there's, there are so few good football managers around. It's a really small pool. So it's literally, it's literally like just moving the deck chairs on the Titanic really and, and, and hoping for the best that, you know, hoping that you're one that, that lands in a lifeboat. Um, and, you know, I just, like I said earlier, I just don't see any kind of rhyme or reason for, with the number of changes that, that are going on at the moment. Keep expecting to see Alan Kovic's name up in a bit. Bit of a for the teenagers. <laughs> I wonder if that Twitter account's still going where every job, I've not seen it for a few years, but where we used to tweet saying that I'm available after every job came up. Um, but Matt, just on, on the theme of managers being under pressure more than ever, remarkable comments from Jurgen Klopp as well earlier in the week, whether or not, you know, he's you know, being slightly kind of mischievous when he's saying it as well. But... Um, suggesting when he was asked about the number of sackings in the Premier League this season, suggesting that he's still only at Liverpool with the season that they're having, and, and it is a bad one by their standards, but because of the past successes. And yes, he's had great past successes, but it, it is remarkable to think that even, you know, you kind of look at that and there has been suggestions that maybe, you know, the kind of the time is maybe Liverpool might, you know, want to consider a change. I mean, it still seems remarkable that you're having those conversations, but even that hammers home how much success has to be here and now and has to be, you know, not so much instant, but you have to deliver success after success after success to still 
retain the job that you have in the Premier League, you know, at, the, at this highest level. You'd, you'd forgive Liverpool for having an off season this year, you know, after, you know, for, for the last kind of four or five years, they've been there or thereabouts really pushing Man City hard. You can forgive them. And then for him to still, you know, those comments kind of suggest that he still feels that there's an element of pressure there that he still has to, uh, still, has, you know, of course they missed out in the Champions League, it's going to be bad for them, but it just seems remarkable that someone that's achieved so much with Liverpool still feels that, that pressure still remains for him, even though he's got so much credit in the bank. Yeah, you get a feeling that there's pressure on him that he feels he shouldn't have. I mean, as much as he's admitting to it, I think he's very much using it by by, by bringing the subject up. I think he's trying to to, to belittle the, the suggestions that he should place a sack. I mean, because, of course, he's still a good manager. Yeah, he hasn't worked out this, this season. Um, he's admitted so himself. Uh, but but yeah, he's he's only bringing the subject up. He's always daring people to to make the sort of comment that he should be sacked because clearly he feels he's still the same manager he always was. It's just circumstances have gone against him this season, and that's probably right. A bit more long termism uh, will make more successful clubs, but it's not the way it works in football anymore. There is a continental model, of course, uh, which is completely different to the to English football, where they do change managers every two three years. Always have done. Um, it's only here that we, we've got those big eras that, that were set up by Shankly, Paisley, Ferguson, Renger. Uh, yeah, we're the exception. Uh, and sometimes it does, you know, it's, it's taken those remarkable managers to reinvent themselves, as Klopp's struggling to do now, to show that sometimes you do need fresh blood, fresh, fresh insight, a fresh voice, um, because players do get tired of listening to you for after a certain amount of time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... Perhaps we're all wrong in saying all managers need to be given mortar. Yeah, after about two or three or four years, it's very far, hard to find successful managers. Uh, and everyone has a dip, and very few managers climb out of that dip. Uh, and, you know, perhaps Jurgen Klopp's time at Liverpool, the magic was right there for a period. Perhaps it is time to think, well, Jurgen, if it's not working next season, then, then something's changed. And um, perhaps it's time you can go be a good manager somewhere else, and perhaps we'll get another good manager in to, to revitalize things. Um, so for as much as Jurgen Klopp's kind of challenging people to, to dare to say that he should be under pressure, then um, then I think he's got to be, he's realistic as well in the back of his mind to know that they could come. So I mean, just finally on the uh, number of sackings that we've seen in the Premier League this season, something that kind of, you know, serves as a reminder to those clubs that are thinking about, you know, kind of, you know, and, and probably, you know, Chelsea to an extent with, with the kind of quick fire sacking of, of Potter only seven months after taking charge. When you look at the current Premier League leaders, and remember where they were at the start of last season, three defeats in a row, three heavy defeats in a row to sit bottom of the Premier League, to now see where they are now. You know, Arsenal, it was a brave call probably, we would say at the time, to stick with Mikel Arteta, but he's now paying dividends and it's showing that kind of, that there is still a chance that if you do give managers time, that they can turn things around and eventually build what Arsenal have this season, which is a remarkable success, possibly a, a first title in 19 years. You give them time, they can they can still achieve great things. So sometimes it is, you know, short-term pain for long-term gain. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it, Arsenal are the perfect example of that. Uh, but they're also the perfect example of, of the, how, how a club can, can sort of reinvent and build itself when you've got a management structure where every individual is singing from the, you know, the same in sheet which seems to be happening once again at Arsenal. You know, I thought for too many years at the Emirates, particularly since they moved to the Emirates, that the, the, the kind of management structure at the club was a, was a bit 
a bit too sort of over, you know, it was bloated and not everybody w w was on, was on message. And I think that, that, that has, that problem has now been solved. Um, you know, Arteta w works well with Edu. Um, we saw in January, you know, there were certain targets that Arsenal wanted that they couldn't get, but they, they still managed to get players in who were able to, to strengthen this, this squad and give Arsenal that extra lift they needed after the World Cup. Um, you know, I, I think Arsenal came to a point, to be fair, where they thought we've got to, we've got to go through the pain here. We can't just sack another manager. You know, they'd had Wenger for so long. Um, and then obviously uh, Emery didn't last too long after him. And, and I think they realised that they, they were going to have to be patient. If they felt that Arteta was a the man, then they were going to have to kind of stick with him through, through, thick and thin and they're reaping the benefits of that and you know that they're they're flying Arsenal are flying at the moment and then um, whatever happens between now and the the end of the season Arsenal are in a in a great place going forward you know that you don't see them going away anytime soon because of the uh the structure of the squad that they've got the youth of that squad they're, they're a team that is only going to get better under Mikel Arteta. Simon you mentioned interesting you mentioned Eddie then because we've been on here long enough today criticising the Chelsea ownership and lack of football knowledge um, and the uh, and in the past Manchester United where they seem to be thrashing around without glue over managers. I think Edu has now established himself as that sort of background football board level uh, sort of figure that City have had for so long um, in Tixie Burgessan who has sort of shaped an era. That's where the, the longevity comes from. It's that kind of figure. And I think Edu's position and role in, in what Arsenal have done, I think has been vital because he's given Arteta the support. And like you say, they seem to work together well. Um, and I, I think that's perhaps where Arsenal are scoring points this season. And even Spurs with Levy thrashing around for a manager. You know, that that's that's where the, the, the gaps have been for the, the lack of success. Uh, and perhaps Edu's part in this is, has been underplayed a little bit this season with all the uh, praise going to Arteta. But certainly, they look like a, co a coherent club at the moment with a coherent plan, uh, and that can't be underestimated in a season where top, you know, top managers have lost their jobs. Switching the focus now to the top four race uh, for the final part of the this, this show today. Um, the, the running order that when I wrote it was was obviously done before Wednesday night's game for I suggested that uh, Man United losing against Newcastle at the weekend seemed to, to hold him back into the race for the top four. Of course, both Newcastle and Manchester United winning on Wednesday night. Big wins, uh, big win for Newcastle at West Ham and a, and a narrow 1-0 victory for Man United. But look, when you look at the top four now and you look at it, uh, you know, we on, on the show last week, we were kind of analysing perhaps including, you know, maybe buying this guy, including Brentford into it in, into that kind of top four battle. But when you look at it now after the weekend and after the midweek results, and there's now a 10 point gap between Liverpool and the top four places as well. Have we now whittled it down to perhaps Newcastle, Man United and Brighton that could, could realistically be looking at the, the Champions League places for next season? I think Spurs fans are a bit disappointed to be discounted already, although... It's going to take just because they've got the, the players still, even if they've got the management structure. Um, Liverpool will be too flaky to 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 construct a challenge, so 
Uh, and I think Klopp's given up on this season a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I think Newcastle. I think yeah, Newcastle and Manchester United have got to be the favourites. You know, in their Brighton, if they can just keep ticking along, I don't think the others will be drop enough to allow them to creep in. So, so yeah, it is kind of what looked like a bundle fight a little bit, you know, just a week ago. Now it just seems to be a bit becoming a bit more clear, and it's probably that's that's the right top four if you like for what they've done over the course of the season. So, I mean, just with Newcastle, where they started, you know, it, it, when you come back from that March international break, you probably you kind of treat it as like a kind of a really kind of separate part of the season where you need to start, you know, it's kind of a, a real kind of refresh point and you can kind of start again and, and you need momentum kind of from the off because it is, you know, frenetic from now until the end of the season with so many games to catch up on, so many games to get in. It is going to be quite constant. So you need momentum, good momentum from the start. For Newcastle to get two wins, that great win at home to, to Manchester United at the weekend and that big victory against West Ham on Wednesday night as well. That they're the team with momentum now in, in this race in the top four. And of course, whenever you've got good momentum behind you, it's always a nicer feeling and that you can kind of give that extra five, ten percent in those games when it does get a bit tougher. Absolutely. I think there was a, a little bit of a feeling that Newcastle had hit the wall at the Carabao after they lost the Carabao Cup final to Man United that everybody thought that they, their season would, would would maybe fade a little bit. Ma- massive credit to Eddie Howe and his backroom staff and his players, the way that they've kind of bounced back from that. And I think the key to it is uh, Isaac getting Isaac, I, I, hope he, I think I pronounced his name incorrectly there, but um, I, I just think that, that that was one part of the um, part of the equation that Newcastle haven't had for most of the season is a a number nine who um who doesn't only work hard but can come up with goals and uh, you know Callum Wilson um very willing worker very very able player but Isaac just seems to have got a little bit of you know a bit of magic dust about him um and uh, you know and I think Newcastle's attacking players that their attacking play has been fantastic over the last two games and you're absolutely right about the momentum that they've got and when Newcastle have got momentum, they can be, you know, they, they, it can be a difficult force to stop, particularly when they're at St. James's Park. So um, I think Newcastle are in with a great chance now of finishing finishing in the top four. If they can if they can keep uh, their key players fit, um, because they've not got, a, you know, they've not got a, a big squad in terms of depth of quality. But I think if they can keep their, their top, their best players fit, then I think that they've got a great chance of, of, of qualifying for the Champions League now. Matt, with with Tottenham, um, obviously a one-one draw against Everton on on Monday night, throwing away a lead again uh, against the relegation threatened side again. Can you tell I'm a Tottenham fan, and I'm I'm trying to hide my bias there. Um, but Christian Stellini, um, obviously in interim charge until the end of the season, still comes out, still criticises the players. Doesn't go about it the same way that that you know Antonio Conte did, which landed him down the job centre in the end ultimately. But there's a frailty in that Tottenham squad, isn't there? There's a mental frailty amongst that squad that, you know, they couldn't hold on against bottom of the table Southampton and even, you know, against Everton, away to 10 men Everton after they took the lead, that they still couldn't kick on from that point and that they spent much of that game, you know, much of that period after after taking the lead, just defending their own goal line, trying the best to, to hold on to a 1-0 victory. There's, there's a mental fragility within this squad, which is going to probably count against them in, in this top four battle. It's not as simple as that because actually you look through that squad, it is full of international captains, uh, people who've done things elsewhere. I mean, Hugo Lloris has won the World Cup. Um, Romero has won the World Cup. 
Harry Kane's England captain and as you know, anyone questioning his mental strength, you know, has got problems themselves. Um, these are all strong. Hugh-Min Son, you know, has carried a continent pretty much on his shoulders um, with, with what he's done in the football. These are strong Hoiberg. I wouldn't argue with him on any account. You know, these are strong characters. You know, Eric Dyer even is, is a strong character. Um, but whatever it is, they get together. You, you know, I keep thinking differently. You know, Perisic with everything he's done in the game. These aren't frail, frail flaky players. These are strong characters who, who know what it's about, who, who've done it before. But you put them all together and they just time and time again seem to, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I don't know if it's uh, a curse or something. You get Barry Fry to go and uh, pee in the corner of flag, by the corner flagging or whatever it is that's going to help them. But but whatever it is, yeah, that kites in, that in that dressing room, there's something. And, and and they can't keep throwing these points away. Um, and losing it. At, having said that, under Pochettino at different times, Spurs were the comeback team. You know, they were under Conte. You know, they go goal down, come back and win. That was their mental strength. So whatever it is, it's not as simple as just saying it's mental fragility. But there is, I think they've seen each other do it too many times. They look around and think, oh, this is happening again. And perhaps that's why, you know, a completely new... I, you know, do you know what? I, perhaps it's a Harry Kane phenomenon. It's part of the Harry Kane story, if you like, is that he's not going to win this trophy with Spurs. Uh, and perhaps they need to rebuild without him and, and that'll be the time that, that the luck changes. Um, it's just... But, but you're guessing, because there's no logic behind that at all, because Kane's such a great player. But but for whatever reason, yeah, those players too often look around at each other and think, oh, it's gone wrong again. Uh, uh, and something desperately needs to change there if Spurs are finally going to realise the sort of potential that, that they've got with that stadium, that ground, uh, and, you know, that, that kernel of, of decent player that, that they're beginning to bring through. Simon, just finally this morning before we go, um, on Brighton, the outsiders in this battle for the top four, shouldn't discount them. Um, they've got games in hand on the on Newcastle United and Tottenham as well, so, so maybe, just maybe, they might be able to crawl themselves back into it. But I suppose where maybe, you know, an element of pressure and, and kind of, you know, past experiences are, are perhaps weighing Tottenham down, who knows, you know, kind of knowing where they've been and, and knowing what's happened in the past. Brighton are coming under the radar here. There's no pressure on them at all. The young squad, they're all together. They'll, they'll enjoy this, won't they? They're kind of, everyone else is looking above them again, Newcastle, Man United, Tottenham, that will be your battle. And, and Brighton can just happily tick along in the background and, and maybe just maybe surprise one or two between now and the end of the season. The, the longer that Brian can stay in touch without anybody can really saying that they are going to finish in the top four, the, the more they will, they will love it. And you can be absolutely certain that in that dressing room, the players will be thinking, you know, look, we're in, we're in with a chance here. They're playing, you know, they're playing really well. They're in the FA Cup semi-finals, by the way. And I think, man, they, they, I, I've got, you know, I make Brighton slight favourites for that game at, at Wembley. Um, simply because of the, the form both clubs are in. I know United won last night, but it was, it was a bit of an unconvincing performance. Um, so they've still got the FA Cup to, to go for as well. And, um, you know, sometimes that, that can help that you're not just focusing on on, on one thing. You, 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 the, the games are just coming thick and fast. The big games are coming thick and fast. I think the longer that they go under the radar, like I say, the, 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 the better it will be for them that, you know, nobody's talking about them. And they've got, they've got, and again, it's a shot to nothing. Nobody expecting them to, 
to finish uh, in the top four. Whatever happens now between the end of the season, it's been a, it's been a great season for Brighton. Um, but it, it, it would be great, wouldn't it, to see a club like that kind of get get over the line for, for a top four spot or you know win the FA Cup because again that would be a reward for a club football club being run in in the right way. You know, there's a lot of clubs have, have tried to sign Brighton players. We saw, um, we saw Arsenal with Casado uh, trying to sign him in January, and he stuck by the guns. That if the, the, the their evaluation wasn't met, then he, he wasn't going anywhere. Um, they s- sold Cucurella in the summer, um, you know, for big money, and and it's just a, a really, again, a really well run football club, and it would nice be nice to see a club like that get its uh, get its rewards. Yeah, I was just thinking there that the last ones for the last one to get into the Champions League from outside the kind of big four that you wouldn't expect would have been Leicester, and the last one to win the FA Cup would have been Leicester. It's funny how things change very, very quickly in football. Um, Simon, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time as always. Uh, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the Premier League and beyond uh, on the Mirror, the Start, and the Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>